This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Forever. Dog. Rose and Jamie are two best friends. And they love sex and the city. And they couldn't help but wonder, do you love it too? Carrie, Miranda, Samantha, Charlotte, Cosmos, Scrunchies, so many dudes. Every single dude. All the dudes. And we couldn't help but wonder. With Jamie Lee and Rose Cerno. I'm Jamie Lee. And I'm Rose Cerno. And this is Couldn't Help But Wonder, a podcast where we talk about sex in the city and how it relates to, to us. us. To wow, our singing is really good today. I know. We were harmonizing. Um, Gal, uh, who are you this week? Oh, man. Um, I I think I was kind of a, uh, I was a, a combo of the core four, mostly because I keep conjuring this image of like togetherness. I had kind of an intense situation at work this week. Um, uh, someone on my writing staff was really dealing, has been dealing with some personal issues and I kind of didn't know the ins and outs of what they were going through. And I, I still don't have all of the details, mostly because I didn't feel like it was really appropriate to pry, uh, but they opened up to the group, uh, the whole staff, and sort of said, like, this, this is what's been going on, going on with me. Um, there, There's uh, some issues of depression, oh, which um, not with them, but with a close family member. And obviously that's impacting the entire family. And uh, they started crying and it really, it just really shook me. And I also, I, I, I mean, I... <laughs> I felt really grateful to be in the job that I'm in. And it made me just like love um, this person more and appreciate them for, you know, and also for mix, you know, because you always hear like, I mean, women get definitely get this more than men, but like crying at work, like what a no, no, you know, don't do it. Don't break the boundaries. And it's like, I just couldn't disagree with that more especially having gone through it this week i think it brought everybody closer together i really think it sort of burst open the hearts in the room and we actually had a really kind of incredible creative productive day after that all of a sudden someone's like i've been on heroin for 20 years everyone's just like getting up and being like i hate my father right it did have a bit of a support group feeling and i yeah i think it kind of cracked open everybody and made us all just kind of more emotionally intertwined it's like, in, in I don't a like way Game that of thrones everyone's like out yeah you're like that is not what Cross we're talking about yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> too far too personal tmi well, that's nice yeah um so i just felt really grateful and um i feel like that sort of ties back to how the four women on this show always really come together and... for each other and yeah and uh because yeah i at first, I was like, maybe I'm a Miranda because this is like work related. But I was like, no, it crosses over. It's like work friendship. I've also never been at a job where I feel this sort of 
I, I think I may have said this to you before, but my job sort of feels like summer camp, not in that we're not working, we are. But I feel also on a social level, very bonded to everyone I work with. Like, so I really nice. feel like I've made new friends. And obviously, we spend a lot of time together. So it's very intense, even without the situation that occurred this week. So yeah, I think it just bonded us even more. And I just feel really grateful to have a job that um, is creatively fulfilling, but also socially fulfilling. That's where I'm here, at. Here, who are who are you? Who was I this week? Um, I think I'm a Carrie because I've been really emotional, and I realize that like <laughs> Carrie gets a little hysterical sometimes. Like as we've seen in season one, like she'll just like throw a fit. Yeah, particularly um, with Big. Yeah, I haven't been hysterical romantically. Uh, my dog, who I've had for two months, has cost me almost $10,000 in medical oh my bills. God, Rose. He had surgery. Oh. And then I just found out that... He had surgery for rocks, for, he ate rocks, rocks in his stomach. But okay. while they were there, they did a biopsy of his liver. And turns out he has a lifelong liver problem that will never go away. Oh, my God, It's not Rose. something we can really solve. It's just something we can manage. And With what? With medication? Medication, diet, it's just another bunch of money. And it was the first time that I thought of, like, can I keep this? Like, am I going to be able to do this? Like, did I like I adopted a sick dog with like bad organs and I didn't know that. So I I, I was kind of emotional. And also I'm in the egg freezing process and I'm on hormones. So I'm just like, when did that start? When did the hormone? When did uh, you like? Because I know last episode you talked about it a little bit. I'm just doing birth control. Got it. But I've been off birth control for five years. So I'm just like, that's huge. Yeah. Like I cried in my car last night. Like I'm just kind of. I'm just kind of overwhelmed. Plus, I turned 36 in July, and I think birthdays bring up a lot of like, you know, I should Ugh. be married, I should have a boyfriend, blah blah blah. Yeah, so birthdays I, are torture. I yeah, I kind of just feel like I want to like go to Catalina and just like drink on the beach. Okay, but anyway, I'm okay. I'm just a little, I'm a little emotional. Everything will be fine, but mm. I'm yeah, I'm sad about my dog, and I'm really I, sorry. And I think I'm just trying to just be gentle with myself because I'm like, okay, I'm on a bunch of weird hormones. Hormones are no joke. I was on low, low level, um, like whatever, or ortho low, I think it was called when I was in college. And even that made me have a lot of emotional ups and downs. And the doctor at that time, I mean, who knows, maybe now they have different information about it. But I even at that time, I was like, I know I'm on the low birth control gynecologist, but it's not low enough. It's right. making me feel erratic. Yeah. I I don't know if I'm just emotional because of that or if it's what it is, but... Well, it's all connected. Yeah. I just feel like it's, it's just one of these things where it's like, I've only had my dog for two months, but I do love him. But it's of kind of like, do. I have to feed him four times a day. I have to be home like every few hours. It's just this huge... I just thought I was going to have a dog and it'd be this easy, fun thing. And it just ended up being accidentally... It's just a mistake. It's just like nothing he's doing wrong. He has a problem with his organs, but it's just turned out to be really time consuming and very expensive and just sort of intense. And it's like I talk to people and they're like, oh, yeah, like over the course of my dog's life, I probably spent ten thousand dollars. I'm like, yeah, but it's been two weeks. So it's just a lot. And also just the there's also the emotions of having to literally go to a vet's office like it's four times a week yeah like, i mean it's a hospital you're like in this place you you you're you already with your dog they're already these sort of fragile creatures even without health problems and then to add the fact that you have to like go and 
you know, hear diagnoses and stuff. Especially it's very draining. Thing that's not like solvable. It's like we can I manage know. it, but it will be forever. Yeah, that was manage the hard it thing. is really hard news. Yeah. And it's also like he just can't. He's not like a normal dog. Like you can't take him on a walk because he'll just eat everything off the ground, which isn't his fault. It's because it's this. He has a million side diseases from the liver. Like he has this thing called pica, which means he eats everything off the ground, but not in a normal dog way, in like an obsessive neurological way. So like I can't even walk him. Like mm. anyway, boring. But it's um, not boring. Yeah. It just no, makes me sad. I'm also sad for him. I'm, I'm so like sorry. sad that he it's he's just this little baby and his life has been so hard. I mean, the good news is for two months, we haven't known what the problem has been, and we've just been throwing shit against the wall. Now that we actually know, thank God, we can probably solve it. Yeah, um, it's just like it yeah, was just not an, knowing is torture. Yeah, and I also feel like even the fact that I've been debating like, would it be insane if I like gave up this dog? It just brings up all these crazy feelings of like just weird guilt feelings and embarrassing like oh my god i had this crazy dog for two months i i don't think i'm gonna give him up but it crossed my mind yesterday which was like insane i have a friend who had to do that um i don't remember the the specifics of her dog but her essentially her dog was much older than chachi and very very ill and yeah the people that she adopted um the dog from just didn't tell her and so yeah. she went through a similar situation of troubleshooting and um and yeah i i yeah it's i don't really... think that i'm having a normal dog owner experience i don't you're, think i mean no, no you we, well you're having a sick sick dog right. owner experience right i just thought it would be easier i just pictured myself like going on walks and sitting sure. in the park and it's almost like I mean, I don't know. If and he's so even... like little and cuddly and, you yeah, know, and he's also in pain all the time. Like I, I can tell that. that he's not happy and it's just like sad I didn't to watch. know that. Yeah. Has that been, has the pain it's, part been going on for? It's not even pain. It's just like he's uncomfortable. Uh, it's like, like he, restless. He, he scratches his body so much that he has like patches without hair because he has a skin little problem boo-boo. now because of the dis- liver. It's just all because of the liver. So. Oh, Rose. I know. It's like, it'll mm. be better. It'll be better. But it's just like, it's hard to see something, somebody you care about suffering. And that in and of itself is enough to warrant everything you're feeling and then on top of it you're also dealing also trying with... to like live a life and like i'm yeah. trying to like write a new script and it's like i yeah. feel like i have to be home all the time yeah. and i kind of feel you're like trying to do everything yeah it's just like oh i thought i just like adopted this dog but actually now i've become like i feel like i'm not even a writer and a comedian anymore i'm just like a dog nurse yeah like i I'm, know like, my well, weekends also because you're like... such a loving devoted person in oh, general you. and you have said before on this podcast and in our friendship you are a natural caretaker it's something that you enjoy and prioritize and you're dealing with an animal that you love who again animals i think th- at least from the human perspective are helpless in a lot yeah. of ways and then to add that he actually has ailments on top of it it's just a lot to deal with and experience yes thank you for saying that i've just been i think i just have to accept that i'm just gonna be bummed for a little while until he gets better yeah then i'll be and okay the egg freezing thing i mean it's we've, we've talked about it i i am probably going to be doing it soon and i commend you for starting it because i think that Thanks when go. i went for a consultation even when they started talking about Here's what you need to do. I'm very, uh, this makes me sound so fucking juvenile. I hate having my blood drawn. No, it's not comfortable. It Well, especially because my whole life I've been told that my veins are very little and they're really deep. They're so skinny. I know. They're super thin. And it's just like a thing I struggle with. Um, (laughs) It's like, like, I'm so sorry, but like basically my veins are like the chaos of veins. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, they are really deep and really thin and really hard to find. And every time I have my blood drawn, more times than not. My veins are so skinny that like you almost like can't see them. It's like, that makes sense. Here's the thing. When you your have veins your, need an Instagram. I mean, they really do. Your my veins, fa- my are, veins like goals, are like body goals, my, like summer beach goals. My veins are a butt model. <laughs> and that's something that we're all dealing with. But yeah, I just that part of it. Um, I've never had a pleasant experience. It's usually they miss the vein. It hurts a lot. They try again. They miss. It, it it's just poking and prodding and whatever so that's like literally the number one reason i've been um scared to start uh, of course in addition to hormones giving yourself shots like there is so much it's a full month of crazy if we have and, listeners who are women in their 20s uh, just have your baby now honestly it i i almost feel like Kids are so exhausting and intense. Just do it when you have energy. Do it when you're young. And then when you're 30s, your kids are already in school and then you can have a career. Yeah, it's... uh, I feel like everyone should have kids when they're 19. Well, if you go get a consultation, that is the feeling you are going to have. Because they, they literally show you a chart where they're like... You know, you've you've started dying and yeah. uh, your organs are shutting down and uh, also, like, you want to do this. They also are like, you want to do this now. They're like, don't wait a month. You're older in a oh, month. They always tell, they, they're like, they're, they're like, like, good thing you're in now. Yeah. Well, lo- the one thing I will say that was sort of comforting is when I went a lot of follicles. Uh, yeah, I feel like I had a good amount. But the one thing that was really comforting was that she said I was the youngest person she had seen that day. And I was like, oh, there are people older than us trying to have babies and um i understand it because i think ideally in an ideal world having a baby in my 40s sounds fucking dreamy i would love it i think it's insane because like i i babysat a couple of times earlier this year maybe sometimes last year and babysitting in your mid-30s like exhausting i'm like oh my god i should have had a baby at 15 when i like running around the park sounded fun instead of oh my like god. you go run around mommy's reading her book i like, love that we're like endorsing teen pregnancy <laughs> oh, we're I like fully- do it do it when you, you have that that beach get, volleyball, you know, get lacrosse your GED vibe. and get going. Yeah, like, exactly. It's like, yeah. Anyway, okay. Well, we should kick it off, guys. Let's kick it off. Um, today we are covering season one, episode eleven of Sex in the City, called "The Drought." The episode opens with an all-time horny declaration that New York City is all about sex, and Carrie and Big are having tons of it. That is, until Carrie breaks the cardinal rule of early relationships. Thou shalt not fart. They're all snugly in bed one morning, she's rubbing Big's chest, and boom, she lets one rip. It's so funny because it's such an innocuous little... Yeah. It's not like... No, no, no. It's such a mellow fart. It was a, it was a very calm. It's like, a, it's like the most feminine fart you could have yeah, farted. Yeah, it was a dainty fart. It's like a little bird that like chirped on yeah, accident. Like, Carrie's so humiliated, she gets dressed quickly and tears out of Big's apartment. Ego fully bruised. She's convinced the whole gaseous incident is the cause of their sexual chaos that quickly ensues. That's right. Immediately post fart, the lovebirds hit their very first dry spell. Do you think it means something if Big and I are sleeping together, but we're not sleeping together? The truth? And when have I ever wanted that? Yeah, okay, tell me. I think there's trouble. I mean, sex is a barometer for what's going on in the relationship. Mm. Well, I wasn't going to tell you this, but, um... I farted. Then move your mat away. Not now. I did it in front of Big. Huge mistake. You think? It wasn't a choice. I'm human. It happened. No, honey, you're a woman. And men don't like women to be human. We aren't supposed to fart, douche, use tampons, or have hair in places we shouldn't. 
I mean, hell, a guy once broke up with me because I missed a bikini once. I knew it. Oh. This is a watershed relationship moment I'm never going to be able to erase. Oh, sure you will. Just go over there and fuck his brains out and he'll forget all about it. Men aren't that complicated. They're kind of like plants. Wow. I, this is such a funny conversation for women in their 30s to be having because it's like, I understand if you're 15 and you're like, he saw me fart, but to be in your mid 30s and be that upset about it. Yeah, I. It's so juvenile. Okay, can I be honest though? I am really horrified by what I'm about to say, but okay. I am, I'm like terrified of farting in front of someone. Like that, when that happened, I feel like I very much identified <laughs> with Carrie and then I felt an immediate wave of shame because. In in my head, logically, I know it is not a big deal. Calm down. <laughs> like you are in a relationship with this man. It should not matter. But I was like, fuck, I couldn't re- I couldn't relate to her more. I mean, it I was just very, very funny. Yeah, it was very funny. And it is relatable. He had a great. He had such a great reaction. What did he, he was, say? He was just like really playful. And he was like, because she so she farts and then she goes under the comforter. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. And he's like, well, don't go under there. It's even worse under there. And I was like, oh, Big is already good spirited about this. That's true. You're right. It is embarrassing. I mean, it's certainly not ideal. I just think that like. It's also really funny how, I mean, we just said it, but I think it must, it bears mentioning again that like of all the farts you could do, that one, it wasn't like a thick syrupy one. It was like a really (laughs) thick syrupy one. Oh my God. It It wasn't a molasses fart that flies get stuck in. No, it was like a little sweet baby fart. It was. It It was was like truly the most like blonde five foot one fart. Yes. It was, it was just cute. It was cute. You just want to like bundle it up and give it a little smooch i mean have you ever farted in front of a boyfriend or a lover um, that you remember i remember oh fuck i literally it gives me chills how much i hate it i don't know what happened to me when i was younger to where i'm so put off by uh, so put off at myself for this but yeah i remember one time i think i farted in my sleep in front of my college boyfriend and he like woke me up and thought it was like really funny and i kept being like that didn't happen he's like yes it did i woke up i love that you denied it no i was like that didn't happen like you heard i don't know it was the bed frame and he's like no it it was definitely that it just happened and i knew it was true yeah it was just like to make fun and also we had been together like two and a half years it's like that's just not gonna ever be a deal breaker but there's definitely i have i don't know where this i'm actually glad that we're kind of like unpacking this because i don't know where my shame around like farting is farting poop like all of it it is what samantha said yeah but i think i have it to an extreme degree where i really would react the way carrie did where i'd be like i gotta go like i i don't know where that side of my shame where that degree of my shame stems from because why it's so ridiculous I mean my worst nightmare is dating somebody or having a boyfriend that lives in an apartment where like the bathroom is like right near everything and you can hear everything because like sometimes poops are like melodic and like oh my god like literally like they're not silent all the time and like my worst nightmare a sweet symphony a cacophonous nightmare is to go in there and make some like yo-yo ma and then come out and how he heard the whole thing oh yeah no and then you have to do the blatant thing of like turning on the sink i always do that 
Yeah, I mean, I've and even done like that we're for peeing. So much water. Yeah, I yeah, you're wasting water. It also you're not fooling anyone. You can always hear whatever is happening on the toilet. You can always distinguish that sound from the faucet. Like you know the what? faucet never adequately covers. You know what, what I you're have, tr- what you're I doing. I have an apartment where if somebody poops, I can hear it. Yeah, hearing someone fart while you're just like sitting in the living room, like waiting for them to come out to make out, is like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> and, like, you, like you just pretend that like nothing happened. And you're like, ooh, like ready for some Sade. It's like barely. My sister uh, who had a kid, it's like everything, every orifice after you have a kid is just like loose as a goose. And she said like a month after she had a kid, she farted so loudly that she woke up the entire family. Oh like my the baby God. woke up her husband. Like she slipped. That's she, impressive. She scared the baby. Oh like my God. Crying. She's a fucking queen. That's hysterical. Well, this isn't a fart, but like I had a boyfriend once in college when I was about 19 or 20 who was really well endowed mm-hmm. to the point where when we were done having sex, like yeah. a gust of wind would like charge sure. into my vagina. And so one time we were having sex and all of a sudden my queef was like, <gasps> yeah, it was like 35 seconds. Like it was so long. It was so embarrassing. He was so nice about it, but I was just like, <gasps> it was just awful. Oh my God. Yeah. I. It's like you are the wind beneath my queef. Here's the thing about wind beneath my queef, which, oh my God, obsessed. That should be the name of this podcast, except we titled them after the titles of Sex in the City episodes. But, um, I I think the the worst the worst part of I don't think they explored the queef in Sex in the City. We'll see. I, I don't think a lot they of do. We left. do, but I don't believe they did. Um, however, the queef is the worst, and men don't even realize this. I don't think, but you can't control a queef. Like you can hold in a fart. I hate this conversation. By the way, it's really <laughs> giving me chills. This is like a really not safe for work. It's also just like Wait, Jamie I hate giving poop me chills. Humor. I hate. Me I, too. I hate all of it. But it I feel is like you this is literally, literally appeal to our male base. Yeah, guys, for our, for our male <laughs> for listeners, one straight listener. for our one straight male listener, <laughs> for Aliquest yes, later and Skyler, uh, <laughs> two two of them. Um, yeah, I, you you actually cannot control it. Um, so that's that's the most horrifying part. Is you're just like you have to just like let your body give in to the gust of embarrassment. It's so embarrassing, fucking horrible. Okay, okay moving on. Moving on. Between counseling Carrie and downward dog, Samantha catches a glimpse of Siddhartha, her very hot yoga teacher, who she invites to a pre-sex cup of coffee, only to find out the worst news. Dude's not fucking. He's celibate. And despite her normal impulses, Samantha jumps aboard his Eastern spirituality no-bone train, trying out celibacy for herself. Charlotte, meanwhile, has started seeing Kevin, yet another perfect guy. Over dinner with Carrie, she shares that they touch, cuddle, but they don't have sex. Kevin respects her boundaries far too much to rush things. Or so Charlotte thinks. When Kevin meets up with them at the restaurant... Carrie's already very familiar with him. The two used to date before Carrie broke it off because the guy was a quote unquote sex maniac. Why Charlotte hasn't gotten to see that side of him only becomes clear later that night when they're about to end their own drought. Uh, I don't think this is going to work. Why is it me? No, you're great. I'm just not that sexual a guy. It's me. and I know it's me. Look, um, Carrie told me that you were quite sexual. In fact, I I believe she used the word maniac. That was before. Before what? Prozac. Prozac? Yeah. I used to be such a mess, Mr. Mood Swing. It's a total lifesaver. 
The only downside is, is it takes the air out of my tires. After a while, it's kind of like a taffy pull. <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry about it. I don't. I don't is, that's where I was like, all right, well, you're, you know, it takes two to tango. What do you think about this scene? This scene, well, I, I, I do relate to what he is dealing with in that I, um, for a little while, about six years ago, I was taking Zoloft for anxiety and um, I didn't stay on it too long, mostly because my reaction to it was I just felt, well, two things. It made me really hungry all the time. Like my stomach literally felt like it never had food in it, which was, oh, I have that sometimes with, um, uh, like pain relievers, like Advil and stuff too, where it, I don't know something, hmm. the way it, it just, I literally will like eat a hamburger and fries and I'll be like starving still. Like it's this weird thing. So that was one reason I got off of it. And the other reason was that it completely made me unable to feel anything in my vagina, like truly dulled all of my senses and, uh, like you couldn't masturbate. You literally couldn't do anything. And after a while, I also think that, um, and I don't know if anyone listening to this has ever experienced this, but once I started to sort of wean myself off of it, I noticed the lasting effects of it where like I felt like my spiraling thoughts were sort of clipped because I had sort of experienced oh, training my brain oh, that's nice. through the drug. Oh, that's cool. So there was sort of a lasting effect, that's which great. I do think was helped also by meditating many years later. Um, but anyway, so I, I relate what this guy's going through. What, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I do too. I mean, I've been on Lexapro for a really long time and it's hard for me to compare it to not being on it because I've been on it my entire sexual life. And it ha I it definitely has made sex a little more challenging sure. in terms of orgasms and stuff. But what I don't relate to in this clip is how cavalier he is and me how he's too. like, oh, I don't care. Because a lot of people on SSRIs, we deal with the sexual side effects. If you have to be on it, like somebody like me, it's a total bummer of a side effect. Sure. And it's not something that you're... It's yeah, not, you're not like, sorry, babe. This no, is, it's this like is fucking me. blows. Yeah. yeah, because he's... That, that was the part It just doesn't that, feel realistic. It's just like, that just feels like... I think having a character who's on antidepressants, who's having sexual side effects, very realistic. But, and important. But as somebody who's on them, has a million friends on them, family members... It's not like people don't care about the side effects. It's a sh it's the worst side effect. Because, it's really shitty. Well, that was the thing that was kind of confusing to me was that it, not only did he seem like he didn't care about how it impacted Charlotte, he also didn't seem bothered about how it was impacting himself. It's just not real. People which, are very upset about it. How and people could, try and get off their meds because of it. And right. it's like if you actually can't get off your meds, it's really challenging. So I thought it was a cool thing that they brought it up. And obviously it's too. a comedy. So they're trying to make it funny. But it's not relatable because everybody who experienced side effects is not happy about it. It also did feel like a slightly shoehorned in storyline because it does feel like something I would like to see sort of play out more um, as a larger arc in a, you know, yeah, maybe. Yeah, like how people really more yeah, realistically yeah, deal with could, it instead even, of Even if we were like whatever rewriting the show, I'm like, oh, I'd love for one of the girls to be on, anti on, on some kind of medication that was um, dulling their sexual ability and, um, and how sensitivity and how, yeah, how it impacts them. Yeah, because it's kind of a big thing it's like 
orgasms and crying on the floor every day or less i mean it's, you know. it's a huge choice to have to make yeah it's a real crazy thing that that's like a trade-off for that kind it's, of medication yeah, it's, it's like, really devastating yeah it's intense and everybody has different experiences with it i i think it's cool that they brought it up but um yeah i didn't think that it was, it was kind realistic. of it was kind of handled cavalierly as well. His attitude was cavalier, and it was kind of just thrown in, like, yeah, she's just kind of dealing with this guy who's like really happy, it's not, not having real. sex. It's like, why would he be happy about that? Also, if he was a sex maniac, then he loves sex and he gets it. Yeah, and that was also confusing. I thought this is more of just nitpicking writing, but I was like, oh, so we, did he go on it because he was he a, a sex, sex maniac? Right, is yeah. he a sex addict, and this is his way of kind of dulling that? part of his life so he can function more in other ways I, it was just a little confusing yeah i think it, it would felt have like been conflated a, a little bit i think they could have made this scene go from like a fun fluffy comedy scene to like actually meaningful if he was like yeah it's a bummer i also like what he's never gonna he's just gonna date a woman that doesn't want to have sex like no woman is gonna want to he's like you're too sexual for me like who's he gonna date yeah, I mean, it really kind of it makes him I would think, it, you know, if we're getting into the reality of the situation, like what an isolating situation to be in, not only because he's having, you know, he's he's not able to have sex, but also he's making his partners feel like that's crazy not even for, yeah he's like yeah. well wouldn't you he, he even says he's like oh yeah you know like at least you get a guy who's nice or who's something. nice and you it's know very either or yeah and you're just like but that's not a relationship also just want to flag that you know it is interesting to me again if we're gonna nitpick writing a little bit it's interesting that this is not charlotte's first rodeo in dealing with a man who can't sustain a, an erection or get an erection which is very real and because it happens Trey, she ends up marrying Trey, who has yeah. um, erectile dysfunction. Yeah. And uh, I wonder, I'm just kind of throwing, I couldn't help but wonder um, what that connection is for Charlotte. It is interesting that they wrote two separate um, stories where she interacts with someone who just kind of can't perform for her the way I she wants. I think it's important that they, well, you know, we'll get there when we get to Trey. But I, sure. But yes, I agree with you. So have you ever dated a friend's ex? Uh, yeah, I did mention this briefly in an earlier episode, um, but I did hook. I, I didn't date them. Well, I mean, it basically was I, I had hooked up with um, my friend in best best friend in high school, uh, broke up with this guy who then started like flirting with me. And I truly never saw him that way ever. He was always just like, that's my friend's boyfriend, like never thought of him that way. And then he started aggressively flirting with me after they had broken up. And we we had been friends just because we all hung out in the same social circle. But uh, I remember asking my dad, I was like, what do you think I should do? Because he's definitely like putting himself out there. And I do care about this person because I've known him for so long through my friend, but it is my friend's ex. And my parents both, I love them dearly. They don't necessarily give the most sage advice when it comes to like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, morality but that sounds like they're these like completely immoral people and they're not they're very like loving but they also are not fully into i guess what i'm trying what to did say, your dad say he was like i think you should go for it jane like i have jokes about that i do in my stand-up about my dad being um i have daddy issues the other way my dad's like too supportive That's so funny. he literally yeah he'll i could be like i murdered 12 people and he'd be like well the world's overpopulated like <laughs> That's funny. he has this attitude where i kind of can do no wrong 
But in my soul, I'm like, I know it's fucked up. That's why I'm asking you to tell me not to do it. So what happened? So then I ended up going for it and we dated. What for happened like, with your best friend? Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible. Did it end the relationship? The no, we're fine now. She ended up being my uh, maid of honor and it's fine now. But I don't think we ever fully bounced back. And did I did you ever apologize to her about it? Oh, my God. Like endlessly. That's good. Like I could. And I, you know, granted, I want to what I would love is to just crutch on the fact that I was 18. I didn't know any better. All this stuff. And it's like, no, I knew it was wrong the whole time. And I was really wanting people to tell me it wasn't. And yeah, I'm just like, I just truly, even when I talk about it now, I'm like, oh, I'm like disgusted with myself. Listen, it was we two weeks. Mistakes. Luckily, like, I don't know if it matters or not. The crime was committed either way. We did not sleep together. So I kept like kind of, you know how you like cling to the things that aren't horrible? You're like, we didn't sleep together. Yeah. So it's fine. It's like, Jam, it's not fine. It just right. wasn't fine. She was hurt. That should have been it. Right. And I wonder if there was something like a I jealousy like after or this something. Pod, you need to like send her like a edible arrangement. Okay, just some some <laughs> some I love you melon. <laughs> just send some her. I love you melon shaped like a flower with yeah. a, a grape uh, center, like a Sam Goody card or something. Okay, Sam Goody is not. I don't even think those exist anymore. But I love where your head's at. What could you send her that she would actually appreciate? I don't know. Do you think she's listening right now? I don't know. If I she think is, she listens. If she is, what do you need we to tell love, her? We love. I oh, we love you. I just loop I love you, you in. Too. You do, yeah. Uh, I love you, and I was a fucking selfish idiot. And more than even that, I I just uh, what the hell was I thinking? Like truly, what? what was I thinking? You made a mistake. We all make mistakes. I know, but it's so gross. Anyway, what about you? Did you ever date a friend's ex? Well, it's kind of weird because my sister and I are one year apart. And we lived in the same apartment for a really long time in New York. And if somebody would be attracted to me, it wouldn't be insane that they'd be attracted to her and vice versa. And we usually were dating people at the same time. But there were patches when we were both single. And there were patches where we'd like the same person or blah, blah, blah. It was kind of awkward. Very awkward. Um, and then years and years later, she dated this uh, famous artist, this famous painter, it's very talented and handsome, not the nicest guy, uh, very charming. And he, after they broke up, he always was kind of like flirtatious with me mm. and would always say I was pretty and stuff. And then wow. he moved to L.A. And this is like a few years ago. OK. And he wanted to get a drink. And I knew it was wrong. And my sister had already met the love of her life. And I asked her. She did? Yeah. I said, do you mind if I go out with him? And it obviously bothered her, but she's like, yeah, fine, I guess, whatever. Like, mm. she said yes, but it obviously bothered her. Yeah. And then I went out with him and he was kind of an asshole. Oh, God. And then I was like, what was this, this for? This was stupid. Yeah. And, and I tried to talk to her about it. And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that was probably bad. I mean, the way I feel about this kind of stuff is when it comes to friends if you think you have a real chance with someone who's your friend's ex and you really feel like there's a chance of love there, like there's something really special and it's really over between them, then I think it's worth pursuing and with friends permission and yes, blah, blah, blah. having open conversations. Yes. And yes. But if it's just somebody that you think is kind of cute, then I would say leave it alone. But I, I, I think if you do have it, I think honest, real connections are hard to find. And if you have one, it's worth pursuing. But just make sure it's on the up and up, you know? Yeah. And I think having that conversation and sussing it out with the friend before it happens is is a real courtesy. Um, I get it from both 
both sides. Though, I do too. Like people have asked me before, oh, can I date this person? And it's hard on your ego, even if you, somebody you broke up with. It's hard to Isn't think. Isn't that interesting? It's really hard. Yeah, it's really what is hard. That? It's hard to let it go. I don't know. It's also <laughs> this is like I've always wanted to talk about this in stand up, but it's like hard to believe that you're not the only one. That's like horrific. It, it it actually makes you like confront death almost. It's like, oh, we're just human beings like f- fucking and living and like, you know, taking it day by day. Like, I don't know. It, I, it brings up a lot of feelings of insignificance when I find out someone could be attracted to someone in my like inner circle. It's horrible. I'm just like, oh, I'm replaceable. I'm nothing. I'm shit. Yeah. It's like horrible to think that like, it's crazy to think that relationships end and that, that you just don't just have one person that you're in love with for the rest of your life. It's like, it's crazy that people can get over people. I know. <sighs> and really get over them. Yeah. And it's like at one point you were like staring into each other's eyes and being, being like, like, you're I'm, my forever. No one has ever felt this way before. Yeah. And then like five years later, you like see them at like Safeway and you're just like, oh, yeah. You're like, oh, I'm going to go on the cereal aisle because <laughs> they're in the aisle that I need to be in. I'm just going to take a quick detour to get around them. I guess I'm buying this Count Chocula. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a, it's a kitty cereal kind of day. Oy vey. Okay, here we go. Okay. After feeling like she's ruined things with Big, Carrie throws everything she's got at getting them back to their consistent sex routine off of spotting an acrobatic couple going to town on each other in the building across from hers. Inspired, she shows up at Big's place in a full let's fuck outfit and climbs all over him before he barks at her to cut it out. To be fair, he is watching a boxing fight on pay-per-view. Yay, sports. That seems so funny. It's unbelievable. Um, okay, just quick caveat. It reminds of this daytime TV show where the this couple was fighting about not having sex and she's like I will wear a red teddy in front of him but if he's watching sports he doesn't even notice it's like so embarrassing <laughs> meanwhile Miranda's going into her third month without doing it and has all but replaced sex with blockbuster rentals Outside her local Blockbuster branch, a greasy jackhammer operator aggressively catcalls her, reminding her that A, men are monsters, and B, she's still not having sex, baby. After their blow up, Big and Carrie don't see each other for a few days, and Carrie all but declares their relationship over when she spots that not everyone in New York is done fucking. The people across the way are back at it. Oh my God. Look at them. Oh, wow. But I had no idea they did an afternoon show. When a show is good, word gets around. There we were, the 90s version of matinee ladies. Who said the theater was dead? Samantha, I cannot believe that you would give this up on purpose. Actually, I hardly miss it. How long has it been? A hundred years. It never goes down, does it? Look, it's still hard. Yeah. Gummy bear, please. Give me the fucking candy. Hey. Snapping over gummy bears might be a sign that celibacy is not for you. All I can say is that my big payoff better be worth it. Samantha, I don't understand you. There are people starving out there and you're fasting. Stop complaining. At least you can take care of yourself. I'm way beyond that point. Besides, I think I've given myself carpal tunnel. Oh, sure. It's all fun until you get to know each other. Yeah, that move right there, that's what they're famous for. It's been an hour. How can that guy still be hard? Hard. This is what the show is Obsess- famous for. I'm obsessed with this. It's just like so fun. It's like when a show is fantasy, it's like 
How much fun would it be to sit around with your friends eating popcorn and gummy bears and watch people have awesome sex and just comment on it? A hundred percent. And what a dream that Carrie sees it, picks up the phone and then cut to everyone's there watching. I want that group of friends. Yeah, you want that group of friends that's just like on call to watch your neighbors having sex like it's, you know, like they're coming over for a movie night. It's just like the immediacy of it is so dreamy. Like, get here now. Yeah, it's, it's you know what? It's like. As raunchy as that scene is, the reason people love this show and this scene is because we all want to have friends like that. And like, I feel like I've always had like a lot of friends, but in different groups, a uh, friend here. Me too. And I've never had yes. like a crew. A crew. And it looks so yes. fun to have a crew. Yes. And I think that's like what a lot of this show is. I mean, the show is just about family. It's like they're each other's chosen family. They go through ups and downs together and they do fun things together. I love that you said that. And also, I don't typically do this, but I am tying it back to what I said at the top of the episode when I was my who I am this week, because I think that this job that I'm in right now is the first time I've really felt like I have a crew. And I know it's short lived and, you know, we're sort of living in a. Well, I mean, we're all like some of the people don't even like live in this country that I'm working with right now. They live in London, but yeah, it's just kind of this cool feeling of like, and I also never went to like a proper sleepaway camp. I went to day camp. So yeah, that crew feeling Such to a me nice feeling. is really new. Like yeah. the way you just articulated, I was like, oh my God, that's what I'm going through right now. I'm part of a crew. It feels really fun. It's really fun. And it makes you feel young. Yeah. It feels, that is why these women feel so youthful. Because they're having a blast. Because they're having a blast and they have time for each other. Yeah. And they have time to all get together and they have time to drop everything and show up and eat gummy bears while watching people have sex. It's like, yeah, it's just like, that is the fantasy of it. You're so fucking right. I love that. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny because it's like the watching sex is almost just like it's kind of a bait and switch it's like oh this is such a wild show because they're watching sex but it's like it's kind of funny because at the heart of it the reason why we like it is their friendship yeah it's like it has a lot of sex bells and whistles yeah but, but it's, it's like not about the sex thing. yeah it's fully the friendship yeah the fact that you can kind of all commiserate together about having you know your sort of simultaneous droughts while also acknowledging The fact that they acknowledge each other's sexuality and sexual urges in a platonic I'm here for you way is kind of genius. The fact that they're like, I'm fucking horny. I'm fucking horny. Everyone's horny. And it's not like, all right, well, you're you deal with that on your own. That's like between you and your partner or lack thereof. It's always like, no, let's talk about it. And that I think is um, it's just really special. There's a couple of things throughout the series where where they all kind of gather to talk about. Um, I think there was another thing with, oh, like later on, they go to watch porn. Oh, Samantha's yeah. Apartment. And you're just like the fact that they can watch porn together. You're just like, it's like the friendships you have in middle school. It's, it's just, like just awesome. cool. Yeah. yeah. And like you can be open about being horny and not feel shame or like someone's going to be like, well, just deal with that on your own. They're like, no, t- let's let's be open about it. Yeah, let's connect really over sweet, it. Weirdly. It is really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's I had it, a thought off of this that I wanted to share. Please. Well, I was curious if you had ever like uh, like this couple who's, you know, clearly having sex near a window. Have you ever like been caught or anything like that? I have. Ooh, tell us all about well, it. Well, it's not as out there, but I will never forget it. And this this scene definitely brought it up for me. One time I was having sex with my high school boyfriend and he was on top of me. We're in my bed And again, my parents are very just like trusting and like he could be in my room with the door closed. They didn't ever question it. And my dad and the lights were off and my dad opened the door and was just like talking to us. He was just like, hey, guys, are you 
Are you gonna like Lots of, like uh, yeah, gonna, I think he was like, Are you, do you guys want anything to eat? And then he like, did like, he not my get it? My boyfriend is like fully on top of me. Well, we were under the covers, so I think he couldn't see what was going oh on. God. And I'm literally like, I have my hands like on my boyfriend's back, and I was just like over his shoulder, being like, No, Dad, we're good. You know, like all full over here. You know, oh my god. And yeah, and then finally he left, and we were just like, Okay, I guess we like resume. Like it was just. Oh, and also I did see my parents having sex one time, which That's also was just brought up for me. Insane. So. I once walked in on my sister and her boyfriend. I like screamed and ran out. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah. Did you literally go? Ah! Yeah. And I, I was like, ah! and it happened so fast that fortunately it was just like a blur. But yeah, it's gross to watch anybody you care about having I'm trying sex. trying to think if I ever walked in. Yeah. I had this roommate in college. And you could always tell that she had just had sex because she would come downstairs in this like nighty. It's like who in college even owns a nighty? But it was like very tiny and short and like you could literally like see her pubes through. It was like very translucent and her nipples were hard. And she would just like I would be like watching, you know, whatever. Friends. Yeah, I was like watching Friends or like Punked or something. And she would just like stroll across the living room and like and then like get a glass of water and then like stroll back. And it was just very like slow and sexual, and I was just like, "All right." And I also I was in a drought at the time, so I was just like, "Can so it was you a not real, remind me what's going on upstairs?" You. Yeah, it was a super fuck you. You know what I think is very relatable in this episode? What is apart from the fart thing? Carrie's worry in a new relationship the first time you hang out and don't have sex, mm. or like if when you first get together with somebody it's like so much sex because you're so hot for each other and everything's so exciting and then if it becomes a relationship at some point it slows down a little which is totally fine but the first time you hang out and you don't have sex or like the first couple times I think is like I think I freak out too like do you is he even attracted to me anymore oh my god is this wow. relationship over are we like an old married couple I just think I also think as a woman, you're taught that like men always want to fuck you. So right. if a guy is just tired or something, you're like, it's What's really wrong hard with me? not to take it personally, sure. even though it's completely normal. But the idea that somebody wouldn't want you one time, I think I'm sensitive to that. I, I'm sensitive to it. But, I, you know, in past relationships, I felt like that fade to doing it less was pretty gradual. So I don't know that I pinpointed a specific moment of like oh i'm feeling rejected however uh i i was in a relationship where the guy straight up was just like i don't want to and just having it spoken to me that plainly was so devastating Why i don't know if want i to? ever low I libido or something he just like wasn't in the mood i later found out he was depressed about like some work stuff and um like kind of silently dealing with some issues yeah. uh, that he wasn't sharing but when it happened i just remember being like i don't want to is not an it felt like that is not enough of an explanation i think if someone says i'm really depressed right now that's understandable and then you don't have to take it personally i think the thing is there's this myth and culture that hurts men and women which is that men are always horny and always want to have sex and i think that men and women are both horny and they want to have sex sometimes but i think it puts a lot of pressure on men to always be ready to fuck and then it puts a lot of pressure on women if your boyfriend ever doesn't want to fuck you yeah and it's just like it makes us feel yeah yeah i know what you mean also like sort of um de-emphasizing how women are also have strong sex drives totally. um, and maybe it's not as like 
culturally touched upon. Totally. But it's there. And I think that the sort of discrepancy between how how men are sexual and women are sexual, I wish that that was something that we kind of debunked and talked about more because really it's pretty similar, I feel like. Just think it's individual. Both, I mean, there's yeah. relationships where a woman has a really high libido and a man has a really totally, low one. Totally. The thing is, ultimately... Even if you and your partner have different levels of libido, part of being in a partnership is sometimes doing things for the other person, even if you're not really in the mood. And I do think that sometimes just like having sex, if you're not totally in the mood for your partner, is like a nice thing to do, especially long term. That's what I'm saying. My, I have a friend who's been married for about 10 years and very happily married. And one time I was talking about how I was in a dry spell and she was like. Jamie, sometimes you just have to force it. That's kind of what I think. She too. was like, you're going to be happy afterwards. Sometimes you just have to. You got to just do it. It's like a rushing. It's a exactly. I never want to do it. It's a routine cleansing. I would floss. You just got to floss. Yeah. Because it's good for your fucking gums. And yeah, your it's vagina, good for your relationship. The gums and your pussy. There you go. <laughs> and your gummy pussy. Cool. Okay, so Charlotte ends up breaking up with Kevin after doing everything in her power to get him off. Samantha gives up her celibacy trial and bones down with another member of Siddhartha's yoga class. And Miranda tells her catcaller that unless he's game to sleep with her right then and there, he's welcome to go fuck himself. Okay, then Carrie and Big overcome their rough patch. Big clocks the exhibitionist across the street from Carrie's apartment, feels inspired and totally kisses her, papering over the fact that he completely ghosted her for days on end because big's gonna be big big is gonna be big and that brings us to uh the question of the episode which we always answer at the end of every episode of this podcast let's hear it how often is normal so yeah how often is normal for having sex what do you think it's so hard to say so hard to say i think that i don't like the word normal it just feels like a trap always in I every agree. context. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that once a week feels like the goal to me because and that is ideal. I am not speaking and I'm not anyone who's listening who's like, well, fuck you. That is not how frequently I have sex. I'm talking in terms of ideals. We're talking about long term relationships. Long term relationships. I think that. Uh, yes, I am talking about long term relationships. I think that once a week in a long term relationship like Carrie and Big are now in, I guess that we they don't seems they still, kind of don't. It feels seems really pretty new. new still, yeah. But she's admits in that this is the first time she admits she's falling in love with him and she's scared of losing him. So I I am sort of just it's filling in the blanks yeah. that they are fully they are fully in it now. Um, yeah, I think once a week is is nice, and I do. Um, I just think the further you get away from that, the more anxiety and kind of and I'm speaking for myself, disconnection, anxiety, and just kind of like grumpiness that can kind of easily be quelled if you just reconnect with your partner. Yeah, I agree with you that normal is just too much pressure. And I think it really depends on the couple. There's people that have sex three times a day. There's people that have sex once a month. I, I really think it just depends on you. I would just say... And it's also hard to stay consistent because life gets in the way. And I also just think it depends on what your needs are. It's like, I, I, I think that what Carrie's getting at in this question is... What happens when you get comfortable with somebody and it's not just the honeymoon phase anymore? Yeah. How do you make sex a priority still? And I think it's a good question that every long-term couple has. That And it, it com- never goes away. And it never goes away. And I think the answer is 
you kind of, even though it doesn't sound sexy and it's not what you see in the movies and television, you kind of have to make yourself do it. And then you're glad that you did it. And I think it does keep you connected because the only difference between a romantic partner and a friend is sex. That's it. It's a great point. If you're not having sex, then it's a good friend. Rose Cerno. Thank you. And so I think that you have to do that just to keep it alive. And and I think that... um. I think it. They, they ask a question uh, earlier in the relationship and they say, is sex a barometer for a relationship? And I kind of think that it is mm. because I, I think if you're having it a lot, if you're not having it all, if you're having it once in a while, I do think it does measure how the romantic relationship is going. Yeah. And I also think that uh, I think that sex is it is a language and it's one that you can only speak with, you know, your partner. If you're obviously if you're polyamorous, you're, you know, I, I can't I'm I cannot speak to that only because that is not my situation and yeah. I don't want to misspeak and sound fucking ignorant. Um, but, yeah, I think that uh, I think it's a language that you you have the privilege of speaking only with. That person or however many people you're involved with. And I do think that when it's like you're a small village, so you're a little small. Yeah. My little it's my a, little commune, my little fuck commune. Seven other. I'm trying to be as inclusive as possible. Hair. OK, I read a comment on our in, in our comments on our podcast. Did I use the F word once? No. Oh, my God. No, it was just being like talking about wokeness and whatnot. And I always get really nervous about how I'm not being inclusive when I speak. So I'm trying to be as inclusive because I know there are lots of different Listen, types mermen, of relationships. Yeah. yeah. Guys are in on this too. Uh, circus people, <laughs> uh, investment bankers, circus uh, artists, circus art. Yes, circus keep workers. It, you know, keep yes. it above board. Circus uh, workers. Um, so, my okay. I'm getting way off track. I, and also, I, what I, you're I, less, I also love how I'm overcomplicating the most basic fucking thing that I'm trying to say, which is just that it is something that it, it's a privilege to get to have that sort of unspoken connection um, with someone, and so why not at least sort of maintain it and nurture yeah. it? So I think we're on the same page. I love it, Gal. What are you uh, hor- horny for this week? Okay, so this week I am horny for a documentary on HBO. It's a two-parter, and it's called I Love You Now Die. It's about the Michelle Carter case. Um, She was accused of urging her boyfriend to kill himself. um, And I think that the media portrayed her like that and then the documentary does a really nice job of sort of explaining this flip side of it, which is that she um, was was and is a depressed person who also was struggling with mental health issues and her and Conrad Roy, who did end up committing suicide, they sort of bonded over um, a shared mental health experience. And um, I just thought it, it it was a really well-rounded documentary. Um, you know, obviously, every documentary has a bias and um you know, has a has a mission in what they want you to take away from it. That's true for all filmmaking. Um, but I think they do a pretty good job of kind of trying to explore every angle possible, given the information that they had um, at their fingertips when making the documentary. So, yeah. Shout out horny for I love you now die on HBO. What, what were you? Who are you horny? What were you horny for? Um, this is one of my classic serious horny fours. Oh, I'm reading an amazing book. It's a New York Times bestseller and it's called White Fragility. Oh, yeah. You told me about this. It's called White Fragility. Why it's hard for white people to talk about racism. And I it, it's really well written. It's really brilliant. It's written by like a race scholar who is also herself white. And mm-hmm. she really breaks down 
how it's especially important for white progressive liberals like us who think we have no biases and think we're not racist and think we're not prejudiced when we absolutely are. Everybody is. And she totally like redefines racism as this like structure that like we that white people are constantly benefiting from. Mm. And she said that white people don't consider themselves racist because the socially acceptable definition of racism is like, do you hate black people? Do you commit violence against black people? Well, then you're racist. And if you don't, then you're not racist. And we have this really dramatic binary. But actually, it's not that. It's like, do you benefit from the system every day and have like these and also like have these blind spots that you might not like if you're white you're racist basically and i know it sounds insane but after reading this book i kind of think it's true right and she kind of explains she explains what, what that it means actually it does, looks like well what she says is there's an idea that if you're racist it's intentional and she's like it's there's it's t- usually it can be not unintentional yes. all the time yes. and just this idea that like what race what a racist is is like somebody who marched at like uh, and so anyway yeah, wearing like confederate flag yeah, memorabilia and it, it's I think reading this book is really important. It's if you're progressive and, you know, nobody who's, uh, you know, anti-black is ever going to read this anyway. But even if you're progressive, I think it's really worth a read. I'm going to read it. I love that you're shouting it out. I think it's really amazing. And I also I have to say, like, we have some black female fans. Uh, Shout out to Natasha. Thank you for all your sweet Instagram messages. And I just want to shout out to you guys like. It's our responsibility as white people to like learn about racism and do better. It's not black people's responsibility to teach us. Absolutely. And this not. is a very white TV show that we're talking about. And we're yeah, two white two hosts. White, and so, yeah, you know, wherever we can, hosts, you know, yeah. wherever we can learn more and better is definitely what's up. Yeah, I love that. I love you. Love you, too. OK, bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Couldn't Help But Wonder. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at chbwpod. And follow my co-host Rose Cerno on Insta and Twitter at Rose Cerno. And please follow my co-host Jamie at Really Jamie Lee on Instagram and at The Jamie Lee on Twitter. And please rate, review, subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. If you're nasty, it helps us. It helps you. It helps everyone. You're nasty. Bye. Bye. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered and mastered by Alex Sarche. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.